facing our lives, we have a God who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Let's just stand in this space and just consider our lives, hold them again before God. Ask for his presence in our storms. Jesus, you're our cornerstone. The chief cornerstone of life is you. We love you. We celebrate you today. Amen. Do, do come and sit down. Great to be with you in worship. It was a full house last night. Um, we used all the chairs and uh, it was... Yeah, a very memorable special evening. Do try and catch up and hear a bit more about not just Rob and Pam's story, but the, the, the Woodland story, actually, the Woodland Church family. But um, today we're going to begin a new series, and we are going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. And you might think, oh yeah, another, another sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. Haven't we had those before? Who's heard a, a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer before? Great. It's really important, isn't it? You know, honestly, prayer is a priority for Jesus. In Matthew chapter 6, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount, there's a whole chunk of teaching by Jesus on prayer. But it was also a priority for those people who followed him. And so in Luke 11, we read the disciples saying to Jesus, teach us to pray, just like John taught his disciples to pray. And so again, Jesus gives him this, this kind of this prayer model. But really, though we are going to be talking about prayer and thinking about how we pray, it's not primarily a series about prayer, but about the things that Jesus tells us to pray about. The content is a little bit more important than the model for the purposes of this series. However, let's just have a little think about prayer. And I'll, I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 6, because though I really um, enjoyed Jamal's prayer, um, and you did see it up on screen, we're going to read it again. So it says, when you pray... Don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into the room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So in teaching us to pray, there's some important things that Jesus tells us. One of which is that prayer is for God. Now, let me just ask you, is that an obvious thing to say? Prayer is for God, right? But, you know, sometimes, certainly in the time of, of Jesus, prayer was kind of like to make an impression on other people. It's great to make an impression on God when we pray. Um, it's more important than making an impression on other people. 
But honestly, we can be really worried about how other people view our praying. Let, let me just test you out here. How many people find it hard to pray out loud in a group? You wave your hand at me if you do. All right. Quite a few people do. It may be that you find it harder to pray with a group of people than on your own. Is that true? You can nod at me if that's true. Because you're a little bit more worried about God, what, what people think about your prayer than what God thinks about your prayer. And I understand that. We want to sound theological. You know, we want to sound, we want to sound sound. <laughs> you know, we're a bit worried. Maybe we'll go a bit shaky when we pray. We're a bit nervous. But honestly, prayer is for God. And God likes our prayers when they are not sophisticated, when their heart cries. And sometimes when we pray, we can be more bothered about what other people think than about what God thinks. And you know, Jesus likes short prayers. Do you, do you, do you agree with me? I, I just read it, didn't I? So, you know, have you ever been in a, when someone's prayed a really long prayer? I, I grew up in the Methodist church. My mum was a Methodist deaconess, actually. My dad was a Methodist minister. I remember being in a prayer meeting. My mum was leading it in our little Methodist church. And a gentleman called Frank prayed for half an hour without stopping. And, and in the end, my mother had to say, Frank, that's enough now. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, I don't know how long you would have gone. He's an older gentleman, and it's a bit of a stream of consciousness kind of prayer. You know this kind of prayers, which is kind of like, just kind of your thoughts are coming out loud out of your mouth. And maybe, anyway, the rest of us were not praying. We were distracted. We were looking at our watches. We were thinking, who's going to do something about this? So, but this is a prayer that Jesus prayed, and I'll, I'll read to you. It says, Father... I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. End of prayer. What's that prayer about? Can anyone tell me? Yeah, who said that? Wave your hand. Yes, Julian. You got points last week, you got points this week. Points mean prizes. So that is the prayer that Jesus prayed before raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, is it a big issue to raise someone from the dead? So if you're going to, right, I'm going to try and raise someone from the dead, how much praying would you do? You'd probably get the church, come on, let's have a night of prayer. I don't, Jesus prays the briefest prayer before the biggest need. There's a lesson there, isn't it? And the reason is Jesus knows that God knows. And what's most important to Jesus is intimacy with God, not how long the prayer is or how eloquent the prayer is. It's just a, God, I'm praying to you now, but I'm just doing this for everybody else's sake so that they know that you know, I know, and all that stuff. So, so I just want to say to you, it's okay to pray short prayers. And sometimes dropping a name, dropping a one-liner. I love it. Sometimes we pray for the sick, and I'll just say, look, think of, think of your prayer like... Um, Coming to God, and God is like a, a pool of blessing. And when you drop your one name, it's like a stone going in that pool. And the ripples of God's love reaching right to the edge, touching everyone that you pray for. Let's pray like that. Let's just name people before God. It's powerful to do that. Anyway, but we are going to think a bit about the Lord's Prayer. It's actually quite a brief prayer, isn't it? But it touches quite a lot of, of subjects. And I think the prayer that Jesus that teaches us, reflects the things that Jesus thinks are important for us to know and believe. And I think the prayer is meant to not just be what we pray with our lips, 
but the things that are, which affect our lives. So, here it begins. It begins, our Father. And next week, the sermon topic is about the Father heart of God. And the reason that's so is, one of the biggest things that Jesus came to do was to help us know the Father, to help us catch the Father heart of God. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except by me. In other words, without me, you probably will not know or understand the Father. You will miss it completely. You will think all kinds of rubbish about God. You will project onto God all your fears and anxieties. I want you to know the Father as I know the Father. And I'm not going to preach a sermon about the Father Heart of God because that's next Sunday's topic. But it's really important. And what I want to say to you today is what you believe about the Father will affect the way that you pray. It really will. More than that, what you believe about the Father will affect the way that you live. And Jesus is teaching us to pray because he wants us to pray and he wants us to live out of the knowledge of God as he really is. And, and for me, I would say that really trusting and believing that God is my father and, and a better father than I can imagine helps me to live my life. Second thing Jesus gets us to, there's five things really that I think this, this, this prayer touches. So Father Heart of God is one. That's going to be our sermon topic next week. The second priority that Jesus tells his people to pray is your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus tells us to pray about his kingdom. And for Jesus, the message of the kingdom of God was the priority of the way that he lived his life. You probably remember that when John was put in prison and John had been preaching about the kingdom of God, Jesus picked up that message. That was his dominant theme. He talked about the kingdom. He preached the kingdom of God. It's a priority in his praying. And it, the kingdom of God, God's will being done on earth, it implies that God's will is not being done right now, that, that there is a contest for planet earth and for the hearts and lives of men and women who live on planet earth. And that our priority should be seeking God's will, God's kingdom, God's ways, and displacing the kingdom of this world and the kingdoms of darkness. That's the, the biblical worldview is that there are more than one kingdom out there and that our job is to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And that's huge. And if you believe that and know that and trust that, that will affect the way that you pray and it will affect the way that you live. What is a kingdom prayer in your life? How do you pray your kingdom come? Where is God's kingdom not in your life right now? What does God's kingdom look like anyway? His kingdom of justice and mercy, of provision, of enoughness. Where is it not happening? Are you praying that? I know you're looking for that day to day. And the, the, the whole third area um, is... The priority of provision and a trusting dependence on God. Jesus says, pray this, give us today our daily bread. Give us today what we need. Give us today what we need for life. And I wonder whether we, we, we lean on the provision 
of God, whether we really trust God with our lives or whether we're really anxious about making our own securities. Last night, at this gathering for Rob and Pam, where there are 500 people in the building you know, and lots of storytelling, one of the stories that, that kept being repeated was Rob Scott Cook prays. Pam Scott Cook pray. They pray. They're a praying couple. And Rob in particular gives himself extensively every day to pray. And that came out time and time again in the stories. So it's really appropriate, actually, because as a church, have we picked up on the legacy of Rob and Pam about prayer? You know, it's great to have our, our monthly prayer watch meeting on a Monday night. Hazel's always there because she coordinates that. But honestly, it's quite a small pool of um, slightly elderly members of the church, actually. There's not that many of us. We have a prayer gathering every Tuesday on Zoom. Not that many of us. Do we think prayer is as important as Jesus seemed to think it was? And as Rob and Pam think it is? We want to get hold of that legacy. But one, one thing that, that Rob and Pam told their story yesterday was that, that they were thanking God for provision. And when, when Rob um, felt called to leave his work and, and, and be a full-time Christian minister, one of the things he felt God was challenging about was not taking an income from church but depending on God, living by faith. And for 40 years, this, this or more, you know, this, this, the Woodland Church family is 40-year-olds, but it's longer than that, maybe almost 50 years old, 50 years, Rob and Pam have been living by faith, not receiving an income from the church. And what that means is they have backstory after backstory of God providing for their needs. They have prayed for the provision that they need to feed and clothe themselves and their family. And they've seen God come through for them many, many times. They've got lots of stories. Now, why is that important? It's important because for them, what they've learned in the private place has been applied in the public sphere of the way they've led church. So we as a church have, have been helped to lean into the, the understanding that God wants to provide, that he is trustworthy, that what he calls us to do, he will provide means to do it. And to find prayer lessons and prayer journeys because of that private place of praying for provision. Give us today what we need that will meet our needs, not our griefs. That's what's been modeled. That's what Jesus encourages us to do, to trust in God. And honestly, I think we spend a lot of time making provision for ourselves. In the 1980s, I had a, a, a guy come to live with me and Tina called Rob Eschen from Ghana. And he was studying in Bristol, doing a, a teacher training master's. And um, back home in Ghana, where he left his family behind, they had been through a season of uh, famine, actually. And, and Rob was a man of prayer. And he had a prayer journal. And every day he had prayed in a meal for his family. And he'd get up early in the morning and pray for his daily bread. And because of that, he was a man of faith and a man of prayer. But his reaction to coming to Bristol was, I feel a bit spiritually chloroformed. You have so much. Your supermarkets are full. There's so much material stuff. It's not making it easy for me to pray. However, he did get up early in the morning and pray. In that time, we went everywhere on motorbike, me and Tina. And um, one... Um, one afternoon, we'd been to Backwell, and we were, well, Tina's aunt lived in Backwell. We were pulling out of the Backwell Hill Road onto the main road. And as I came out of that junction, I failed to notice what Tina did notice and was shouting at me through her crash helmet. There's a car coming. 
And I drove into that car, into the side of it, and we slid down the road. And um, the ladies driving the car got out ashen-faced, thinking that she'd killed us. And um, actually, we got up, and we actually drove the bike back home. I don't think Tina got on it again after that, actually. <laughs> but um, Rob Eschen had been praying for us that afternoon for our physical safety. There's something about learning to pray in the secret place and to pray for provision that helps our prayer life. But do we lean in? Do we trust God? Question. The second, then the next thing, thing number four that the Lord's Prayer deals with is the place of giving and receiving forgiveness. Do you know that most human tragedy, pain, relational breakdown is linked with people not forgiving or not being forgiven. And unforgiveness makes it hard to receive forgiveness. And unforgiveness gives a legacy which can ripple through our lives and actually through the centuries. Right now in Ukraine and Russia, there is a history being built of unforgiveness. I'm sure. I'm sure it must be. There will be people who will be pledging themselves, I will never forgive them for what they did to me, to my family, to my country. And what that unforgiveness will do is that it will create a legacy for the potential for further evil and suffering and pain and heartbreak, maybe for centuries to come. Such is the power of unforgiveness. I don't know how much the conflict in Ukraine is being driven by past stories of unforgiveness. It, it's probably in there somewhere, amongst all the other things, among the other political ramifications and everything else. And it's what, what is writ large in nations is also writ small in families. The unforgiveness between partners, friends, people in their office. The things that leave spiritual scarring and get in the way. For Jesus, he knows the power to forgive is a priority. And it's hard. Sometimes we're called to forgive things that we feel are unforgivable. And we can only do it when we access the grace of Jesus, who on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But it's powerful. It's part of our prayer life. What would our life look like if we lived and prayed forgiveness? If we prayed forgiveness on people who'd hurt us, perhaps every day for the same offense. If we lived forgiving lives, and if we believed ourselves to be forgiven, would it make a difference to our prayers, the way that we lived our lives? And finally, Jesus talks about temptation and spiritual warfare. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do we recognize how significant temptation is in our lives? And do we recognize that behind the material facade of the lives that we live, there are spiritual powers of evil who have a strategy for making us less than the image of God? Jesus believed that. His first experience in ministry was to be tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And actually, temptation did not leave Jesus. It was always a temptation to stop following the way of the cross and to take an easier path. 
Jesus understood the nature of, of evil. He was always confronting it in word and deed, whether it was manifest in a political power or a demon in a person. And at the end of his life, he was throwing down a challenge to those powers of evil when he gave his life for us on the cross. What difference would it make to the way that we pray and the way that we lived if we understood that we are in a spiritual battle, that there are things to be contended for in prayer, that there is temptation to be resisted, and, if you like, enemy strategies to uncover and to pray instead the good purposes of God in those places. So I guess my my hope and aspiration is that as we take time over these next few weeks over the summer to think about the content of the Lord's Prayer, we will be re-energized and take on board the, the things that are important to know and to believe, and it will change our praying and our practice. Are you up for that? So I'm going to pray now as I go, and then we're going to go into communion. Father God, I want to thank you that you are the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that you're bigger and better than our vain imagination and our fears. I thank you, Father God, that you have a kingdom. And that your kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. And we want to pray, God, for more of your kingdom. We want to see the breakthrough of the work of your spirit in places where it's not happening. Your kingdom come. Here in Bristol, here in my life here on earth as it is in heaven. We want to pray, Lord God, that you would provide for our needs. And I thank you that thus far you've done that. And in a time where there's anxiety and fear around provision, around cost of living, about whether we can afford our own home, Lord, will you be the one that provides for us personally as a community, that we can be generous and give to others, that we can trust you with our lives. And Lord God, we recognize that we are vulnerable to temptation and pressure. Lord, will you help us? Will you help us to resist and recognize temptation when it comes? And will you help us to fight (coughs) spiritual battles, not in our power, but in your grace? And I will ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. And as we prepare to take communion, one of the things that we do when we take communion is recalibrate our lives as a follower of Jesus. And we say to Jesus, I've tried to follow you, and sometimes I've done okay, and sometimes I've failed, but thank you that today you can restore my soul. So just take a moment just to remember anything that we've done that spoiled our relationship with God or one another. I'm going to pray a prayer of repentance, and uh, you can join me uh, and say amen if it applies to you too. Father God, Lord, we've we've sometimes failed to do things that you've told us to do, or we've done things that we know we shouldn't. Sometimes we've hurt you by the way we've lived our lives, or hurt somebody else, or hurt ourselves. Lord, will you forgive us, and in your mercy, cleanse us through the blood of Jesus, and fill us again with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I'm going to just remind us of what happened on that first communion when Jesus broke bread at the Passover meal and gave it to his disciples. And at a certain point, I'm going to ask you to say an acclamation with me, which is this. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And to my mind, that is a praise of the gospel. 
That's what we believe. That's what we're committing ourselves to. And when we pray that, again, I want to say to you, you're all welcome to communion. But if you have not been following Jesus for a while, or if you're never fully committed yourself as a follower of Jesus, if you pray that prayer and take communion today, it can be a step of commitment or recommitment to Jesus. And if you do do that under those circumstances, I'd love to hear from you. When we take communion, we've got several stations around the room, here at the front and also at the sides. And if you come to the front, we'll also have a prayer ministry team, and we'd love to pray for you and ask for God's blessing on you in mind, body, or spirit. If you're sick, come and get prayer. If you're troubled, come and get prayer. If you need power to minister, come and get prayer. If you want to hear a word from God, come and get prayer. One of us at the front will be glad to pray with you, as well as give you communion. And it's, um, there's some gluten-free bread, there's grape juice, not wine. Hopefully it's accessible to all. We're not going to direct you. We're going to go back into worship. You come out of, your ta- out of your seat when you're ready to and come to one of the stations. At the back, there won't be prayer. There'll just be an opportunity for you to get the, the bread and the cup. Okay. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body given for you. Jesus, the Lamb of God who was whole, was broken so that broken people like us could be made whole. And after supper, he took a cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And we do remember that Jesus died. But we celebrate that he's risen. That means anything can happen. And we look forward to his return and we proclaim his death until he comes. So let's proclaim together. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And will you come now in your own time to one of the tables as we share communion together?